Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is a privilege for me today to welcome to our pulpit as our intern this summer, Will Stevens. I want to encourage you men. I remember so well when I came to Long Island in 2003 for my summer internship, and I was scared out of my mind and in a very, you know, for me it was a very intimidating moment those first few times when I was in the pulpit to preach. And I want to just tell you guys, I can say now 16 years, well, something like that later, there's a way of listening to a sermon that draws a sermon out of a preacher. There's a way of listening to a sermon that makes it discouraging for a preacher. I know something about this. I can explain more if you're interested. Let's be an audience that draws it out of will today. God is going to speak to us through this brother today. We're hearing Christ ministering through a human who's been working in the word. And so I just want to encourage you guys, let's be an energetic audience. Let's listen with expectation and pray our brother through this and feast on what the Lord gives us through him. So brother, looking forward to it. All right, brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles with us, with you, uh, you can turn to Ruth, chapter 1. It's also on page 9 of your bulletins. Join me now, hear now the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to the return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And then they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her, mother-in-law, and, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you, Lord. I pray that you minimize me, that you minimize each of us, Lord, and that you would speak clearly through your word in Scripture and through our hearing of of, of a sermon, that you would speak to us in our personal lives and glorify yourself, your Son, and the Holy Spirit. On your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I am like overwhelms with gratitude. I am so excited and so humbled and so honored to be up here. I've been excited and honored the whole summer, and this seems like it's not even real. So I I appreciate the support and the love. Um, I want to come forward and confess I am imperfect, uh, but I am intentional, and I have spent a lot of time in the Word, specifically in Ruth, uh, going over things with my brother Ben, and just very excited. And uh, as I've worked through uh, this, this book, and, and seeing it in the context of the Old Testament, it actually, it's weird because it, it, the, the story of Ruth actually kind of seems out of place. It's, it's just a story about an ordinary migrant woman in the ancient Near East. There's no mention directly of a prophecy of Jesus. There's no booming voice from God coming down to us. There's no battles that are being fought and heroically won. There's no overt supernatural miracles. It's, it's just an average woman, an average story of an average person going about her daily life dealing with heartbreak, dealing with frustration, and that's it. And uh, it's, it's through reading this, I, I really had to, to work on this. I, I'm, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I chose and came into Ruth, but I, it was a lot of reading and praying and then rereading and then talking to Ben. And, and those of you who know me know I have two twins at home, and my, daughter, uh, my, my, uh, my wife, when she's feeding my daughters, can't go anywhere. She's stuck on the couch, so I follow, I'll sit right in front of her and read my notes and papers to her, and she can't escape, so she's at home right now. I love you. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> to, to the Christians in the room, you, you know Jesus. You, you know and love Jesus, and, and we believe Paul's words when he says that, that the Scripture itself is theanostas, that, that it's God-breathed, that, that every line of Scripture points to the glory and the character of God and the fulfillment of that character in his Son, Jesus Christ the glory and redemption that can come from that. And to those of you who might be in the room that are not quite there yet, uh, maybe you've taken a step away from faith. Um, Maybe you just were curious and you popped in and we have a one o'clock service, which is really conducive to those that want to sleep late. So you just pop, this is a good church for you to kind of come into. Maybe you're visiting uh, because you have a friend that said, we have a really loving congregation here and our pastor Ben brings a mean word and it's, it's, it's fulfilling and, and exciting. And to those specifically, I apologize because, uh, as Ben mentioned, I'm Will. I'm the summer intern. Uh, so come back. Come back for Ben. I'll be done in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, all, all kidding aside, some of you might believe that in the Old Testament, we actually worship a different God than Christians claim to worship, that, that, it's, that he's a mean God, that he's unforgiving, that he's punishing, that he, he's exclusive to only his people, and the rest of the world can literally go to hell. And humbly, brothers and sisters, visitors, friends, I want to submit the book of Ruth as a counter to that. So this is what's considered a a historical narrative. So some of you know that that means that this is a a story of real people, of of real events, things that really happened in history. 
Uh, originally, it was conveyed orally, so these things were passed down through generations to the Israelites. And we believe that it was probably sometime during the reign of Solomon that it was actually written down and transcribed for our edification now. But with no overt mention of God, with no, none of the supernatural miracles, none of the overt prophecies of Jesus, what is it that we're supposed to glean three to 4,000 years later? What is it that we're supposed to take into, into our lives in 2021? So we open up in the beginning here, establishing roughly when it happened. Right in the first verse, it's in the days of the judges. And so around this time, Israel didn't have a government like the rest of the nations around them. A lot of these, a lot of these other governments were monarchs. They had kings. They had lords over everyone. Uh, in this time, God had tried to set up his people to worship him alone. And so he, he raised up these, these righteous men, that men that were after his heart, to oversee these people, to execute the laws that were put, passed down to them. And in the beginning, early on, these men did what they were supposed to do. Their hearts were turned towards God. But if you spend any time in the book of Judges, which is the book that's just prior to this, if you have your Bibles, uh, it's constantly mentioning that the people were doing evil, that they, ha- they had complete disregard for God. So, so all through the book of Judges, you, you see a fall and restoration, fall and restoration. You have, you have a people come in and conquer them, and then they're restored. And then they're hit by disease, and then they're restored. And they're hit with famine, and then they're restored. And to kind of get an idea of this time, if you do have your Bibles, literally the page right before Ruth, in chapter 21 of, of the book of Judges, in verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this really stood out to me. Um, it, it makes me think of today. Uh, we live in a time where there's immense leaning towards relativism. This idea that we define what is right in our own eyes. We define what is right. It doesn't matter what scripture says. It's our call. It's our decision. And it's against this backdrop of a people suffering due to their own disobedience that we cross into the story of Ruth. Now, it, the book is literally called Ruth. Uh, you guys know it. It's written down for you. Uh, but it's interesting because while it's called Ruth and God is not mentioned all that much, God is overtly the protagonist here. He is the primary character in this story of these four chapters. A very short book. But in these four chapters, he is the primary character. And it's through this dark backdrop, it seems like, it seems like an odd place for God to reveal himself in such a magnificent way. But he really does shine through in this story of this, again, average woman living her life. She, he, he reveals himself as redeemer and as lord of his people. As redeemer and lord of his people. And in, in the redemption side of things, the redeemer side of things, we, we, we see this idea of being saved. It, it points to the character fundamentally of God throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, it points to the function that we eventually see fulfilled in the body and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This idea of God himself coming to forgive our sins, to redeem us, to save us from our sins. And we will actually unpack more of this in the, in the chapters to come, in the weeks to come. But what stood out to me for chapter 1 especially is this idea of God being Lord of his people. This, this word providence. This idea that in the smallest details of our lives, God is doing something. God is working through every single thing, good, bad, and ugly in our lives. God is doing something significant, and he's doing it. His plan is unfolding for his glory, but it's also unfolding for our good. And it's, it's this mindset that's very difficult to grasp, and I think we can really see that come through in this, in this story as well. So we enter the story here as famine is gripping the land of Judah, and this is after generations of disobedience. 
So I, I mentioned before that it, during the times of Judges, they were falling and being restored, falling and being restored. And it's, uh, you could look to, uh, if you want to write it down, in Leviticus chapter 26. It's a long book of a lot of laws, but it does point to what is actually happening in this time. Uh, first, starting in, the, in, chapter, in uh, chapter 26, verse 14, they would say that they're, uh, they would be punished by, by invaders if they disobeyed God. Then they would be brought, have disease brought upon them if they continue disobeying God. And if they still didn't learn their lesson and they're still kind of thick-headed, which all of us, I think, could relate to a little bit, if that doesn't work, in verse 19, it talks about famine being brought down to God's people, that the earth would literally be like bronze. It would be completely untenable to survive. And, and, and in an agricultural society, that means you don't work, you don't eat, you don't, you don't survive. And so... As I was first reading this, I, I, I kind of, before I dove into contemporary, uh, like, uh, uh, um, commentaries and, and, uh, and the history and stuff like that, I just kind of kept rereading it. And what first came through my mind, to be honest, is I would probably leave to go to Moab. I, I get it. I understand why fleeing to Moab seems innocuous enough. You want to provide for your family. I get that. I get that impulse very much. You want to provide for your family. You want to see them thrive and do well. And so Elimelech takes his family and flees to Moab. But Upon closer examination, you can see why, uh, why this would be considered bad and what the, what the listeners of this story would have realized right away is that Moab is a people that comes from an incestuous line from, from Lot. He's, he's a, a man in the Bible, some of you might know, that was saved from, from utter destruction but then went on to kind of live in sin, in, par, in partial sin. Um, he actually had sex with his, his oldest daughter and they produced a, his, their oldest son, Moab. And this is the line of people that this country comes from. And so while they're close relatives to the Israelites, they, they're not God's chosen. We said earlier that we, we see distinct blessings for God's chosen people. They are not that. They are not those people. And so to go into an albeit fertile land to, with the best intentions, I want to hey, see my family thrive. I want to see, I want to eat. I want to make money. I want to do well. Despite those right intentions, the, the idea that they didn't stay put in Judah, that they didn't repent and rebuild and restore the land with their brothers and sisters in Judah would have been very much frowned upon for the hearers here, and it's something that we should also take into consideration as we read the story. On top of that, Elimelech's sons, they say quickly that they went out and married Moabite women. So in Moab and in the other surrounding countries in the ancient Near East, they didn't worship Yahweh. They didn't worship the God that we worship. They had all these fertility gods, and, and they worshiped through, honestly, through sex, through ritual prostitution. And so they viewed Moabite women in particular, but, Moab, but other, other nations in general, as temptresses, as, someone that w- as people that would pull us away from God's covenant, that would pull us away from all the good that God had for us by distracting us with the temporal pleasures right now, the things that are right in front of us. And... What stood out to me as well is they said that uh, they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. And by, by marrying these Moabite women, we know with some certainty that they never intended to go back. They never intended to go back from Moab. They left their land, they left their people, they left their friends and family, and they left their God back in, in Judah, back in Bethlehem. They had no intention of returning. And so it's an interesting story to lay out that the very first sign of unbelief, the very first sign of a wavering faith was actually displayed by God's chosen people. 
by the people that knew God's promises, that had seen him come through before, that they had been the ones that abandoned his promise right up front. But what I found interesting is the providence of his plan brought this family to Moab. And in this, we actually witness a budding faith in someone unexpected. Despite repudiating God, despite abandoning his covenant and walking away from his promises, we see a budding faith in a foreigner. And so, I, as, I'm, as I'm working through this, I, I kind of, I remember things differently. So, I, what popped into my head was th- there's three points of providence. There, there, this idea, there's three different instances of providence I've, I've found through the chapter one. This idea that providence brought Ruth into this family. And it was providence that kept her a part of it. And it was providence that would bring her home. So the first point of providence really stands out. Again, I mentioned Ruth being a foreigner. Undoubtedly, this union, this this marriage, met some resistance. There's no doubt about that. Um, It was not without hesitancy. And it was not overtly... So there's some tribes in, in, uh, in the ancient Near East that they were specifically forbidden from inter, intermarriage. Um, but this one was just heavily discouraged. <laughs> um, I, I would bring your attention, if you want to write it down for your own edification, to chapter uh, 23 of Deuteronomy. I'm just going to read a couple verses. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pathor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. <laughs> and so that's not normally the girl you're going to bring home to meet your mom. Like, that's, that's, it's heavy. It's, it is, it's heavy. I, I, I mean, these people did not come to the aid of the Israelites as they fleed Egypt from slavery. And they actually, you could, there could be a whole other sermon on this, but they actually went out of their way to try to find someone to curse God's people. And now God, because he loves them so, turned that curse for their blessing, which is something that I believe he does a lot in our lives if we can think, if we contemplate on it enough, even though it's hard to see when we're up close to the problems in our lives. So these adversities overcome actually kind of, in, in my opinion, leads to the second point of providence. And, and this point of providence is actually when God and human meet. God and human come together. This providence kept her a part of, her, of this family through her inconvenient faith. So we witnessed a faith that was too inconvenient to be held by God's chosen people. And now we witness in, in the, a faith in the foreigner, a, a faith that is so inconvenient and so, it, it just comes up against every fiber of her being, and yet she leans into it. Ruth is actively responding by God's grace with this kind of faith. And after, I mean, we see after being dissuaded by Naomi, Orpah turns back to her people. And what stood out to me while I'm reading this is she's not, she's not railed against in Scripture. They're not like, she had no faith. She was a terrible person. She ran away. She, she's weak. It was just she went, back to, she went back to where she was coming, where she was from. And I, I kind of get that to an extent. We'll, we'll unpack in weeks to come just the, the struggle that a young woman might have experienced in the ancient Near East without a husband, without a future. And she had no hope for the present time. She had no wealth. She had no husband. She had no care. There was no clear steps to a future for her. And so when Naomi said, you're off the hook. Like, I, I love you. I appreciate you. But daughter, go back. Go back to Moab. She heard it and she said, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. But that makes Ruth's response stand out even more. Because Ruth 
Ruth is like, no, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you. Just despite the fact I don't have a hope for the future, I don't have a hope for the present, I don't have a husband by my side, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you into a land that is not, doesn't really like people like me. In response to Naomi, uh, we see again in, 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 her, in her proclamation here, in verse, starting in verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And so she's presenting herself as a godly woman. She's presenting herself, she's exclaiming her conversion openly to the public and saying, I'm with you, Lord. Yes, she's by Naomi's side, but she's really clinging to God. And I have to ask, can you envision what this kind of inconvenient faith might look like in your daily life when you're coming up against troubles and frustrations? When you're coming up against small hiccups in your life that are just annoying, deers sprinting into the side of your van, uh, frustrations at work, more seriously, deaths of friends and family. We live in an imperfect time. What does it look like to have a faith that is so strong that you can hold it even when it's inconvenient? And, and brothers and sisters, I'm not preaching here from a place of like accomplishing it because like I cried this morning when I was praying about stuff because I feel a little bit phony sometimes because I'm not there. I'm, I, I don't have that kind of faith myself. And so it's something I'm working on too. It's, it's, it's working through your unbelief despite the evidence of God. And we see it in Ruth. We see this young woman leaving everything she knows to move into a land with a tendency towards hostility for foreigners. And yet she speaks and commits herself with confidence. Confidence meaning like confide, like with, with faith, speaking out and proclaiming her faith. And I ask, can we claim our God with the same kind of fervency? When we come up against these hopeless situations, do we claim our God with the same sort of fervency? And her... Her inconvenient faith led to the third point of providence. Providence would deliver her home. And I want to take a moment here to highlight a word that stood out to me as I'm, I'm, I'm reading some of the commentaries that Ben so generously lent to me um, because books are super expensive and I'm in seminary and I already buy a ton of books. So thank you, Ben. Um, this word shub, this Hebrew word, it's, it's translated in different spots as return, turn back, gone back, brought back. But in chapter 1, its, it's, it's, it's use is kind of lost in, in the English translation that we use. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, originally this was an oral tradition. It would have been passed down, and they would have heard this main word said over and over and over and over again throughout this chapter, over and over and over again. And it actually illustrates, it points to God's covenant grace and his mercy and the human, excuse me, the human response of repentance and conversion. And so we witness Ruth coming back to God. And coming back to God is always coming back home. And I, I don't know each and every person's personal walk, but maybe that's something that you feel called to right now, that it doesn't matter how far you've wandered or how far you've gone off the beaten path, that all you have to do is turn back to God. All you have to do is start walking again by God's strength and by God's grace. Come back home. Providence delivers us home no matter where you are. And it's, it's interesting that it's, it's actually through Naomi's bitter experience. She literally changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. 
it's through this bitter experience. She lost her husband. She lost her, her son, her eldest son. She lost her youngest son. And with that, she lost all foreseeable advantages in life. Any way that she could possibly have survived has been taken away from her, from stripped, stripped from her. And so she says, the Lord has brought calamity upon me. She's not, it's an understatement. She's not happy. Like this is, she's not dancing with joy. We're working through the book of James. She's not saying, oh, I, I take joy in the, in the hardships. I take joy in, in, the, in the troubled times. She's devastated. And what I want to emphasize here is, this is only four chapters. You can literally go home and probably read it in like a half hour if you really wanted to. So the spoiler alert, it, there's happy endings here. <laughs> but, but, but Ruth and Naomi don't know that. Ruth and Naomi are in the thick of it, and they, don't, they can't see down the pipeline at what's to come. They don't see that God is redeeming what's happening to them. They feel abandoned. Well, well Naomi at least feels abandoned. She feels let down. She feels hurt. And she's probably in the inner dialogue, which we don't receive. She's questioning God, like, are you even real? Is this what I deserve? Is, did, I, did, I, did I bring this upon myself? Or, or is, is there even a God at all? What I find interesting is that Ruth's reaction is that she leans into God's grace, knowing full well that grace does not mean ease. God's grace in our lives does not mean ease of life. And I know that it's hard when you don't know the outcome. I know that that's hard. I know that's hard when we experience loss and when we experience illness and when we experience joblessness or any sorts of frustrations in our relationships. It's hard to to move forward without this promise of stability. And I want to I lift up Ruth as a sister, as a, as a godly woman, as an example for us because she can have Jehovah plus nothing else in Bethlehem. Or she can have everything Minus Jehovah in Moab. She has, she has everything set there. This is a young woman who can go out and still have a full life, have plenty of children, stay, be, live a very happy life, knowing the God, living with the God she knows, living with the family that is her blood. And instead she, cho- she chooses Jehovah plus nothing in Bethlehem. And it's, again, it's through this inconvenient faith that she's actually brought into covenant with God by God's grace. At the end of verse 16, uh, Specifically, we see uh, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And I don't think it's a coincidence uh, with, with the, the speakers at the time and then those who transcribed it that this mirrors God's covenant in Leviticus, in Genesis, in Exodus. He's, he's saying, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And she's saying that you are my people and your God is my God. She is mirroring that covenant. She's, she's converting. She's publicly, in, 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 in doing so in a land that is actually not even friendly to it, she's probably look, looked at like upon a fool. They're like, don't you know what they think of you in Judah? Don't they, like, are you crazy? You belong, you belong to a church? Uh, haven't you heard all the bad things that churches have done? Haven't you heard all the bad things that organized religion has done? And you, you claim to be having faith in this God after all the bad things that happen in this world? Are you crazy? And she, she, she exclaims it. She claims it, and she moves forward with Naomi. She moves back with Naomi. And so Naomi and Ruth shove. They return. And both are returning with absolutely nothing but the grace of God. Naomi has just survived a physical drought that drove her from her home. She survived a spiritual drought where she lost her husband and her two sons and all temporal hopes for a future. 
and she's coming back nothing, completely empty, with just a widowed Moabite daughter-in-law, which is not a stellar team to put together to survive in Bethlehem. And yet the Lord has brought them back, both of them, home in time for a harvest. As we wrap up, I want to look forward to the week ahead. We believe as Christians that this is the start of our week. And I want to say, I want to ask myself included in this, how is it, have you considered how God's providence might be working in your life right now? Through the frustrations, through the letdowns, through the through the friends that have, that have hurt you, through the health complications, through the loss of life. I mean, maybe it could be positive, too, and sometimes we don't appreciate the small blessings. Maybe God is doing something significant because you, got, you, you cashed that paycheck. It's a small thing, but that could be your small blessing. And maybe it's a massive blessing that you're witnessing the union of families through marriage right around the corner. There... How is it that God is working through it? And, and I encourage the meditation, but I don't, I don't have it in the notes here. So <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't want people to, to lament and to, to worry and to stress over these things because I was last night. <laughs> and I was up having conversations in my head over and over again. Um, and it's the first night like my daughter slept for more than two hours, so. I don't want to turn this into a worry or to lamentation, but to, to meditate upon what it is that the Lord is doing in our lives and to try to see the positive in it or at least trust in the, in, the, in the points that we cannot make it, trust in the Lord to bridge that gap for us. Is it possible that he's taking us to a bountiful harvest now in our lives? That, that is right around the corner. And it could be years down the road. It could be next week. But is it possible that we're coming up on that bountiful, par- or a bountiful harvest, even against potential evidence to the contrary? And I want to ask what it would look like for you to experience these times with a faith so strong, even when it's inconvenient to hold on to it, in a, in a time and a place where relativism dominates our world and our landscape and our political landscape and our social landscapes, what it looks like to hold on to a faith that even though we might not like the president or we might love the president, but we don't like the people that are coming up against him or we're worried about what's going on in China and we're worried about what's coming on over here. And oh my gosh, like, what does it look like to actually step out into the public sphere and say, I have faith in Christ. I know that things are crazy, but I have a confidence in God to see us through this. And if, if Ruth had all this reason to believe, I ask brothers and sisters, how much more do we have in Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to, to be in a place of worship on a Sunday without fear of retribution. I thank you for the blessings of a country that allows us to, to worship like this and allows the freedom of expression of religion. And Lord, I pray that whatever it is that's going through people's lives right now, however they might be experiencing your blessing, or maybe they're calling upon you as causing calamity in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would give abundant peace in understanding. And if there is no understanding, Lord, give us the wisdom to know that we should just sit still in the presence of your Holy Spirit. 
brought to us by the Son of your blood, Jesus Christ, of, you, of, you, of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.